Don Chetty, USMC, Uncle Sam's misguided children, been sober 52 years. <laughs> Psalm 98, please. Psalm 98. Only, only Marine can appreciate that. Amen. What a day. Welcome to Veterans Day week. And you have just been honored. And that does not happen in a lot of places. So thank you so much for that. I, uh, Brother Eddie called me a, uh, a few weeks ago. And I am booked forever in, in years to come for Veterans Day. But I didn't have anything the Sunday before, which is today. And he asked me if I would come. And I agreed. So here I am. But as I got closer, I got more nervous. I mean, what can you preach here that you folks have never heard? Think about it for a second. What, what, what can you preach at this church? And by the way, this is a tremendous heritage you have here. And don't take it lightly. And I began to think, what in the world can I say? And the more I thought about it, the more nervous I got. And I thought about this. You know, there's nothing that I can say that they've not heard before. But maybe I could say it just a little different. Amen? <clears throat> there was a man who loved cats. Now, for a man to love cats, it's like a man loving Walmart. It just, it, it just don't work, folks. I'm sorry. It just don't work. He was very wealthy. He had butlers, butlers and housekeepers. He had everything. But he always wanted to go to England. He left and went to England, and after a few days, he called back, and the butler answered the phone. And he said, hey, man, he said, how's my cat? He said, sir, your cat died. Well, he went to pieces. He just loved that cat. Hung the phone up. Called back, and a few hours later, he said, could not you have said that a little differently? I could have said, how's the cat? And you could have said, sir, the cat's on the roof, and we're trying to get it down. Could not you have said it that way? He said, yes, sir. Then I would have called you back and I said, what's the deal on the cat? And you'd say, sir, the cat jumped from the roof to a tree. We have called the fire department to get it out of the tree. Could you not have done that? He said, sure. He said, then I would have called back and you would have said the fire department injured the cat getting it out of the tree and we had to take it to the vet hospital. Could not you have done that? He said, yes. He said, then I would have called back and you say, sir, the cat didn't make it and the cat died. Could not you have said it in a different way? He said, yes, sir. He said, by the way, how's mother? He said, she's on the roof and we're trying to get her down. <clears throat> Amen. That was funny. <laughs> Psalm 98, please. Psalm 98. <laughs> Verse 1 says, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Father, bless this. Let someone here, maybe someone's playing church, Maybe some younger person grew up in church, but never been saved. God, may this be the day, the hour. Then God, those who are saved, may they grow in your grace and knowledge. May there be someone here going through a tough time that would listen and learn. Maybe someone's fighting the call of God on their lives. 
So speak to our hearts today, and we're quick to praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. When the Apostle Paul said he was the chief of sinners, he wasn't saying, hey, look at me. I am the chief of sinners. No, he was trying to let you know God can use anybody, and the power of God can be on anyone, and God can use even me and you. So what I'm going to, I'm going to tell you some stories today that's horrible. But it's to let you know that if God can save me, he can save anybody. If God can use me, he can use anybody. I was born back in the 40s at home. Uh, I know some of you are thinking, 40s, 1940s, wow. Yes, I'm older than dirt. My social security number is three. Uh, but, but listen to me just a little bit, please. I was born at home as a little boy. I come from a, a separated home, a, a divorced home. Uh, my dad raised us on a farm. Then we moved into a city, and the worst mistake I think my dad ever made, because still uh, having farm work to do, we wandered the streets and got in, in all kind of trouble you can get into. My aunt on a bar, and at 14 years old, I would go into that bar at nights and get drunk. Go home with 30, 40-year-old women as a 14-year-old boy. Wicked sin. But I uh, got in some trouble one time, and I stood before a judge. And he basically said I could go out to the prison or to the United States Marine Corps. You know what happened in 67? You know what was going on in 67? I began to think, out there in that prison, they're going to be doing things to me that I don't want them to do. But I won't have a knife or a gun or anything else to protect myself. <clears throat> but if I go to the Marine Corps, they're going to send me to Vietnam. But at least I'll have a knife and a gun. And I was thinking, and he thought I was ignoring him. He pounded that post. I demand an answer. And I said, from the halls of Montezuma. And I wound up going into the Marine Corps as a teenager. I was only in the country 15 days when I got wounded the first time. Uh, you'll hear more about that tonight. I uh, was wounded in a helicopter that got shot down. And I got hit seven times in the back. We took, where's Brother Vogel? Hill 8, we had to go take Hill 800. And we had a, uh, 112 men. They said, hold it at all cost. And that was our job. And if you had been in Vietnam, understand this. Uh, they, they were a Buddhist. They believe if you die as a hero, you'll come back as a village chief. If you die as a coward, you'll come back as a water buffalo or a snake. And, and we look at that. We say, that's dumb. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, before you tell them how dumb they are with their religion, how strong do you serve and believe what you say you believe? Amen. So, <clears throat> we get to Vietnam. I get, I get wounded in that eight, eight hundred, Hill 800 battle. But let me get to the one you want to hear about. I turned 20 and 21 in Vietnam. The first airplane I ever got, I was a country bumpkin. The first airplane I ever got in, I jumped out of. True story. I, uh, I was with a group, the First Marine Division, Force Recon, where we were in places we never were, did things we never did, and took a 70-year oath to not bring those things up. But I was sent somewhere out of Vietnam to for a certain thing, they wanted to take some prisoners. 
And when I got back in to Vietnam, I was supposed to get on radio and make a report. We walked through this village. At the end of a, of a village, they had buried the village chief. I was a lost man. I was not saved. Out of disrespect for those people, I sat on that village chief's grave, took a, a can of sea rations. I left it in the room. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, the old John Wayne can opener. And you'd open it so much and you'd fold it and that was your handle. And I took some old uh, C2 explosives and I was heating a can of sea rations and on the radio. That's why I know what time it was. It was May the 24th, 1969. I'd been there two years. We had taken those prisoners and we had dropped a, uh, an airplane to come out and dropped a bomb and it had created a crater in the earth. And we put the prisoners down in that crater. And I said, uh, told my fellows, I said, you can take a break. I'll watch them while I'm on the radio. Dumb me, they would rather kill their own people than have them talk to us. So they just started dropping rockets in and everything you can imagine, killing, trying to kill us and, and the people we'd taken as prisoners. Uh, 7.19 at night, it was a little dusty dark. And when that rocket hit, I, I was sitting in a grave. When, I, when it hit, I turned to try to spin to get my body behind the little homemade tombstone thing. But when I turned, a hunk of metal hit this arm, took it off bone, bone and all. That's why it's like this. The only thing was saved was this piece of meat right here. It was broken up so bad it was behind me, but that hand was hanging across my face like that, and I couldn't move it. They was dropping rockets in so hard and so much they could not land a medevac chopper and take me out of there. And during the night, the corpsman came up and they pronounced me dead. They took my dog tags off. The little one, as most of you know, goes on the zipper of the body bag so it can identify the body. The long one is sent to your family when you are killed in action. So they thought I had bled to death. It was 1.30 the next afternoon before they could land something to get me out of there. And they threw us in this helicopter like, like a cordwood going to a fireplace. And, and, and we're talking about marvelous things that God has done. Amen? We're bragging on Jesus. Not sin. We're bragging on Jesus. And I will tell you how great God is. If I'd have been on the bottom of all those bodies and still standing before you today preaching, I'd be in hell burning. Because I was not saved. I wound up on the very, very top. The gunner called the colonel who was the uh, pilot and said, Sir, I think I've got a live one back here. And he said, uh, Son, you're, you're new. This is death duty. We have to go around and pick up all the dead bodies. It's like a chicken with his head cut off. You cut a chicken's head off, he is dead. But he'll bounce around, bounce around. He said, sometimes these bodies are even set up. He went, huh? He said, yeah, sometimes the bodies are even set up. Just relax. The records show 10, 15 minutes goes by, and he called again and said, sir, I think I have got a live one. And he said, open the bag and see. He said, uh-huh, he may set up. <laughs> the third time the record showed, the third time, the colonel got mad and came back there. We were way up in the air. When he unzipped my bag, it filled full of that cool air, and I literally came to. 
they immediately looked on the body bag, had my blood type and everything on it, turned, went to the nearest mass unit that we could get to. They climbed on top of all those dead bodies, put blood in here as fast as they put it in here. It was coming out over here. But they stabilized me, wiggled out like a loose tooth, a piece of metal about that long, jagged metal, shrapnel. I still have it in my office in New Mexico today. And they took that thing out and said, here's your souvenir, stabilized me, and sent me to Yokohama, Japan Army Hospital back in those days. I don't know what it is today. During this time, and ladies, I want you to listen to me, my daddy, my wife, and even my mother, because she was my biological mother, I didn't know she had anything to do with anything. They all had someone come to their doors, knock on the door, and tell them that their son, their husband, had been killed in action. My dad and my wife waited three months, three months, to get a body to have a funeral. And I'm laying in a hospital in Japan. Two MPs came in. And it, I'm glad you're sitting down because your young people would faint, fall over dead as a hammer when you hear this story. We did not have cell phones or computers in the 60s. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Everything's fine. The sun came up. The world's going around still, all right? And they walked into a white landline phone. They brought it to my bed. They put it on the table and said, you've got to call home. I said, who am I calling home? And they, and they told me the story that I just told you. They've been waiting three months. They think you're dead. I said, what am I supposed to call and say? Surprise! <laughs> What am I supposed to do at that point, right? I said, who told them? And they said, a, a colonel and a sergeant went to your dad's home. I said, well, you have them go back over and explain the situation. Have them call here. Today, you could do that in minutes. Back in those days, it took a long time, like three or four days, almost a week. But they called me. Talk, got talked to my wife. Got talked to my dad. I came home a very, very bitter person. I came home with a handful of Purple Hearts and 12 medals. I did not come home to a hero's welcome. I came home in a stretcher. OC-130, you Air Force guys know what I'm talking about, no flying tin can. No C-130, and there was nothing in it but hanger stretchers. My stretcher was hung up on there with an IV in my, going through my body. It landed in America. They took me off of that down to a white bus with a big red cross on it and hung me, no seats in the bus, stretcher hangers, just like the airplane. My hero's welcome to America was they burnt the American flag and threw a six-inch rock and broke the glass of that bus in my face. That was my hero's welcome back to America. You would walk through an airport, women would spit on you. Men from a distance would yell things at you. Every movie, every news was anti-Vietnam. They hated Vietnam veterans. And we got treated that way. I was back in this country 16 years before anyone ever said, thank you for your service. 16 years. I, am, I was so bitter in those days, and I, I was 
getting drunk every day. I was using drugs. I, I, it was, uh, I was highballing. Oh, you good Baptists know what that means. You do the liquor and the drugs at the same time to get the high you want. And I was so addicted and so messed up. <clears throat> By then, we had had a, a little boy, Don Jr., who you guys have been supported for, for a lot of years now, Don Jr. And uh, I didn't want to be married. I didn't want a kid. I spent most of my time in the bar. One Thursday night, two men, two women from a local Baptist church knocked on my door. And they said, we just come to tell you about Jesus. I said, I don't know who you're talking about. I didn't do anything to him. Now, folks, you're laughing, but listen to me carefully. I was born and raised in the Bible Belt of the South. No one ever witnessed to me. Nobody ever invited me to ride their church bus. Nobody, no Sunday school teacher ever came by and asked me as a little boy to go to their Sunday school class. Nobody ever invited me to their church. Nobody ever invited me to go to heaven. I did not know there was a such thing in the Bible as John 3.16. I finally got aggravated with them and run them off. And I'm going to make this as short as I can. They came eight Thursday nights in a row witnessing to me. It got so bad that I pushed one into his car and shoved him back in his car and said, get out of here, don't ever come back. And they did not come back for a week. <laughs> they was praying that I couldn't eat or sleep until I got saved and God was answering their prayer. I, 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 listen to me. All my life it was just about me. Just about me. August 24th, 1970. Under severe Holy Spirit conviction. I know what it is now, then I didn't. There was something wrong in here. It felt like my left lung was fighting my right lung. It was horrible. I couldn't eat. I could, the only thing I thought about was dying and going to hell. That's all I could, I, that's all I could think about. It was that powerful of, of conviction. <clears throat> I got up to go to college, Barber College, not smart like you people. And I couldn't go that day. I was under that kind of conviction. One of the two men that led me to the Lord had a cerebral palsy. He was in a wheelchair like this. He couldn't work, so I knew he would be home. And I drove out on the Santa Fe Lake Road to go ask him some questions. I didn't go out there to get saved. I went out there to get some relief of what was going on in here because I was hurting. I couldn't believe how I felt. But every time I'd ask him a question, he wouldn't answer my question. He'd just quote a Bible verse. And this goes on for several minutes. And I got angry leave. Got up to leave. It's called, it's, in Florida, it's called the Santa Fe Lake Road. I call it the Damascus Road. And I pulled my car side. I didn't even get out of seeing this. I pulled my car side of that road. Somewhere in those eight weeks, I had set, made this statement. I don't even know where it came from. I won't believe nothing's not in the Bible. They gave me an old pink and gray gospel tract that said God's simple plan of salvation. And on that gospel tract, they gave me a Bible, and they wrote the page number in the Bible for each one of those things. Let me say this to you. If you're going to give somebody a gospel tract, make sure it's scriptural. Make sure it's scriptural. And I parked by the road that day, and... I took that Bible and I took that uh, gospel tract and I'd look up the page number and I'd read. And I read the whole plan of salvation again. 
And I said, now you've got to remember, folks, I knew nothing about religion. Nothing. I uh, stopped there and I read those verses and I said, God, is it possible for someone like me to get saved? I mean, is it even possible? And I sat there and wondered, what am I going to do? I don't want to go to hell. I know I'm going. I know that I deserve to go. By the way, I had no problems with that. I knew I deserved to go to hell. I knew I was going to hell. But I didn't want to go to hell. I'd like to tell you I got saved because I love Jesus. How can you love somebody you don't know? Now, but look at me carefully. Let me make this clear as I can make it. I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. And I sat in that car that morning and, and I prayed and I said, Lord, I don't know if it's possible for somebody like me to get saved. But God, if somebody like me can get saved, would you save me right now? Nothing happened. I mean, absolutely nothing. I said, oh, I got this thing figured out now. Brother Eddie, I thought, God thinks I'm just a foxhole prayer. You ever been in a war? And the bullets are coming so close, they're hitting you or throwing dirt in your face. And you have those little, what, what we call foxhole prayers. God, if you'll let me live through all this, and then the next day you're taking God's name in vain, telling dirty jokes again. I said, God thinks this is one of those. I didn't know God knew everything, brother. I said, God thinks it's one of those kind of prayers. I said, I'm going to prove to you, God. I had a half a carton of Viceroy cigarettes that I was smoking four and a half packs a day. I could not throw one out until I turned that little another one off of it. Get in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, but I couldn't finish a meal without stopping the smoking to finish my meal. I took every one of those cigarettes. You military guys know what I'm talking about. I feel dressed every one of them. I didn't just throw them out where somebody could find them. I tore them up. I reached under my seat and took out a bottle of whiskey and broke it on the asphalt of that Santa Fe Lake Road. I took my drugs and literally destroyed them right there on that spot. And I said, God, I'm serious. Would you save me? And nothing happened. It broke my heart. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I remember one time as a little boy, uh, in Florida, all the houses were built up because of the, when it would rain, the water would come up, especially from the swamps. And I remember I'd climb up on the porch sometimes. and There was a woman preacher who came to see my grandma. And I was on the porch listening to them. And, and she said something along these lines, when you get it, whatever it is, it's like you're, everything in your life, you throw up all the bad stuff. So I let the car window down. I was begging to throw up. I wanted God so bad. I couldn't even burp. I was going to stick my finger down my mouth and gag myself and force it. I went all the way to the elbows. Nothing happened. I heard that if you get it, <clears throat> you're speaking a different language. I said, you know what? It's going to be Vietnamese. Because I know some of that. I didn't speak Vietnamese. I said, you know what? I watched the World War II movie last night. It's going to be German or Japanese. Folks, I didn't even speak English. Nothing happened. I was deflated again. I thought, what in the world? I heard that you, if you really mean it, you'll cry. I took that rearview mirror of that car and I looked there. I rubbed my eyes, broke my fingers in my eyes. I couldn't even get a tear to come out. I almost ruined my eyes, but I couldn't get a tear to come out. 
I, I'm telling are you listening to me? I'm telling you, nothing happened. Nothing happened with a broken heart. I said, Dear God, if you'll save me, I'll live for you. I didn't know you. You don't make deals with God for salvation. He paid it all. Nothing happened, so I cranked my car back up and started driving to town. Every time I'd meet a truck, I'd get way over because I didn't want to die and go to hell. <clears throat> my wife worked at a sewing factory. I had a little boy that I didn't care nothing about, didn't want to have the boy. I went by to pick my wife up from work. She got in the car, and I said, hey, I asked Jesus to save me today. And her exact words were, that's good for you, but not for me. Because I was such a vile, wicked sinner. But she was a halfway decent person. You realize that she was good, I was bad, we both had to be saved. Both of us had to be saved. We drove down to the babysitter, and normally I would just throw a fit, get the brat and let's go. I got out of the car. I run in there. The lady's name was the babysitter, was like Mrs. Johnson. <clears throat> I grabbed the diaper bag. Yes, they didn't have pampers then. I grabbed the diaper bag. I picked the kid up. And I'm sure they thought, buddy, he is on some of that good Colombian stuff today. He could go duck hunting with a rake. I mean, you know, he's high. And get all of this stuff out of I took that little baby for the first time. They were scared to death. You know, I was going to hurt the baby. I was going to do something. I'm that high on drugs, they're thinking. I drove home. First time in my life, I sat down in the chair and I helped that baby. Something had changed, but I didn't understand it. August 24th, 1970 was a Thursday night. In that part of the world, soul winning was Thursday night. Guess what? Four dumb idiots showed up again. I jumped off the porch, reached in to get the keys so I could get the wheelchair out of the back for the, for the guy with cerebral palsy. But when I reached in there, they're all ducking. I get the trunk open. I pick that board up and just threw him in that wheelchair. And I said, y'all, come on in. And I'm sure as I'm backing up, that, up the steps with that wheelchair, they must have thought, he's high. It's duck hunting season. He's high. I said, y'all, come on in. And we went in. My wife sat on the couch with two of those soul winning ladies beside her. Over here, we went to the kitchen. And I told Brother Otis and Brother Mike, who's in heaven now, the same story I just told you. I said, but nothing happened. He opened his Bible. These things I've written in you to believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. And he began to show me verses after verses after verses after verses. And it hit me. Saved, saved, saved. Glory to God, I'm saved. I went in that living room, got on my knees in front of my little teenage wife who I had left her and run off with some bar woman many times. And I got on my knees and I said, you know that if God could save me, he can save anybody. And she got saved that night. He said, why are you telling all these stories? Because I want you to know, Jesus paid it all. I'm not glorifying sin. I just want you to know today that if God can save me, 
He can save anybody. If God can use me, He can use anybody. So I don't know what your deal is today. I really don't know. Yeah, if you want to know the rest of the story, you have to come back tonight. But I, I do not know what you're facing. I don't, I don't know any of you. I do not know what you're facing. Some of you ladies may have a drunken husband. Some of you may have gone through a divorce. I do not know. Some of you, God's been dealing with you about serving Him and you had not done it yet. If He can use me, He can use anybody. Some of you, because you grew up in a home that went to Christian, you've never been in anything but a Christian school, you never, you've always been in church, but you have fooled people, mostly your parents, sometimes the pastor, that you are saved, but deep inside you know you're not. Don Jr., at 15 years old, I didn't even allow my kids to miss church when they were sick. You had to sit and lay on the back on, on, a, on a blanket if you were sick. You can be just as sick at home as you can at church. You say, you're a mean, hateful man. Guilty. But he had never missed a church service for 15 years. He went to a Christian school all his life. <clears throat> he came to me one night during the invitation and said, Daddy, as a 15-year-old, Daddy, I'm not saved. I said, Son, don't you remember? And he stopped me and he said, No, Daddy. I remember you talking about it. Daddy, I'm not saved. Back in those days, I'm make them faint again. Back in those days, we did we had a thing called cassettes. And he said, "Daddy, I'll take the cassettes of preaching or good music you've given me, and I erase it and record hard rock music. I leave the label on it so I won't get caught." He said, "Every night in my room, I'm listening to that." And I said, son, did you know what to do? Listen to me carefully. That's when he got saved. Oh, listen to me. Play in church won't get you to heaven. All the good works in the world, being here on Veterans Day, won't get you to heaven. But Jesus will. If you've never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am begging. I'm going to make you a promise. I will beg you to get saved. I will humble myself and beg you, don't go to hell. You don't have to. Jesus paid it all. I'll make you another promise. I don't know how we're going to do it with this many people, but if you'd like to come forward, I personally will not tell you what this church, these men, or I believe. I'll open the Bible and show you what God himself said you must do to go to heaven. I'll make you that promise. You say, preacher, I'm already saved. No, I'm saved. Glory to God in the highest. Thank God for that. But are you right with God? Has God been calling you and you think, ah, I don't know about that. I'm scared to death to stand in front of people. I, 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 I don't have the eloquency of, of speech. I don't have the things that it would take to be. Just be careful. Maybe God's calling you to do some other preacher, but maybe he's calling you to preach. Whatever it may be, listen to me carefully and listen well. If God can use the Apostle Paul, the chief of sin, if God can save someone like me and use me, he can save anybody. He can use anybody. But you have to surrender. You see, uh, salvation is a decision you must make. Surrender, like salvation, is a decision you must make. 
But it can't, it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. When I got up this morning, I had to surrender. In the morning when I get up, I'll have to surrender. That's why people say, oh, I surrendered to God back when I got saved. That's why you're having all the troubles you're having. You didn't daily surrender. I hope that'll help you, but listen to me carefully. We're going to give an invitation. You say, preacher, I'd be so embarrassed to admit I'm not saved. I would rather go to heaven embarrassed than go to hell on not being embarrassed.